Hey everyone, so today we're looking at Southeast Asia and how the Vietnam War um, and associated um, warfare around Vietnam is going to lead to um, pretty significant migration of Vietnamese and Laotians. Um, so let's see, the other thing, I'm going to include a video, um, I'm going to throw it up there as a, as a file. Um, it's an optional video. It's, it's a little bit long, but hey, if you have the time right now, go ahead and watch it. Um, I'll throw you some extra credit uh, if you do a one-page write-up of the video um, and attach that um, to the, the assignment for today. Um, so do a 150-word um, comment for the lecture and then attach a one-page no, that's stupid. Do a 150-word comment, um, as usual, and then I will put in a, a separate thing um, for the extra credit video. Um, and I'll throw some extra credit towards you. Um, I'm probably going to be including more videos as we go along um, just to, to supplement things because we don't have class discussion, we don't have exercises, etc. Um, all right, let's start the show. Okay, so just like last time, some of the important things we have to look at from the U.S. perspective are going to be the legal changes. Um, the War Brides Act will still be significant, um, but again, that, uh, so that's 1945. It allows the children of American soldiers and the spouses of American soldiers and sailors and Marines and airmen um, to uh, come into the United States. Um, it creates a pathway that's much quicker um, towards naturalization, towards migration, etc. Um, then the standard path um, for spouses of non-soldiers, um, um, sailors, marines, airmen, coast guardmen, what have you. Uh, so the, the other big ones are going to be 1952 McCarran-Walter Act, which is going to end the racial exclusions to naturalization, um, which allows people to become citizens regardless of racial um, background, um, and 1965, um, the Hart Seller Act, um, which is going to end those nation of origin quotas, which essentially would not allow any Vietnamese migration at all because there are so few Vietnamese in America in 1890, which is where they're going to set the sliding scale at. Um, but it is going to um, allow for family migration, migration of skilled migrants, and then exceptions. And the exceptions, especially for refugees, um, and that's going to be incredibly important when looking at um, Vietnamese migration because a lot of the Vietnamese migration will be as refugees. So the thing we really have to look at um, is going to be the Vietnam War. Now, the French had um, colonized uh, Vietnam and the surrounding area in like the 1870s and 80s. Um, the, the last sort of push for empire, um, the Vietnamese have been colonized before, uh, and they've kicked out colonizers before China ruled Vietnam for a thousand years, um, from the Han dynasty all the way through to like a thousand AD, um, or like the nine hundreds. Um, and the thing is, if China rules you for a thousand years, you become China, um, unless you have an incredibly strong identity. Um, and connection, and, and when they, they kick out the Chinese, they kick them out based on 
we're not Chinese, we're Vietnamese, um, we're Viet. Um, there, I mean, think about that. A thousand years of imperialism and still being able to kick out the Chinese and retain some sort of sense of who they are is, is an amazing um, feat. And other empires probably should have paid attention to that shit. Um, the Mongols will go in, they'll defeat the Mongols three times. Nobody defeats the Mongols three times. And partly it's because the Mongols go in um, on horseback with um, bows that fall apart in high humidity and heat. Um, and Vietnam is, is not a place for horses or high humidity and heat. But they defeat them in naval battles. They defeat them um, on land. They slaughter them. Um, the, the French, when they go in, um, they're going into a place that already has a strong history of resistance to empire. They have a strong intellectual class um, that is already writing a lot about what it means to be, be Vietnamese. Um, you have a strong um, connection among the population to being Vietnamese and not being Chinese, or well, being Viet and not being um, Chinese, um, not being anyone else, right? And when the French come in, they, they sure as hell aren't French. Um, so almost immediately, the French are faced with resistance from, um, you know, there's guerrilla resistance. There are intellectuals um, resisting them. There's, a, you know, an anti-French movement from the very start. Um, and during World War II, the, the strongest of the, the anti-French um, fighters is going to be Ho Chi Minh, who's running a standard sort of Maoist, rural, communist um, resistance first against the French and then against the Japanese. Um, and, um, look, we don't go into Vietnam to defeat the Japanese. Um, the French don't go into Vietnam to defeat the Japanese. The only ones really fighting the Japanese in Vietnam are, are going to be Ho Chi Minh, um, and the communists and their allies. Um, so after the war, um, Ho Chi Minh is, is a, a huge popular hero because he's the one who fought the Japanese. Um, even though initially there was some like, oh, the Japanese are kind of come in and they're promising to free us from the French Empire. Um, and it's not until the Japanese actually show up that the Vietnamese um, and Ho Chi Minh um, and, and his guerrillas realize the Japanese are not there to free them from empire. The Japanese are there to just switch over the imperial leadership from France to Japan. Um, but when the French, when the French are freed from Nazi rule, um, one of the first things they try and do is reestablish their empire. Um, and we'll see this in Algeria. We'll see this in, in Vietnam. The French are an incompetent empire. Um, they're, they started off not the strongest of empires, but after World War II, I mean, they just got their asses beat savagely in World War II. Um, and they're trying to reestablish themselves. And they, and they, they can't. Um, the U.S., we're going we're gonna to back them. Um, with some, mostly with weapons and some support, but it's, it's a reluctant support in Vietnam. Um, we're mostly there because they're fighting against communist insurgents um, and we need French, you know, the French are our allies, so we're going to back them. Um, but they get, they get their asses beat um, brutally by Ho Chi Minh um, and his allies. Um, and when they pull out, um, the UN created this, the UN idea was, okay, well, everything, you know, Ho Chi Minh will go back to the north, um, where he is strongest. Well, well, essentially, the UN will, will set up a, 
a buffer uh, period where there will be no violence and we can have elections. And then after the elections, the Vietnamese people can decide for themselves what's going to happen to, um, to Vietnam. Um, the U.S. does not want to do that because it's quite clear that Ho Chi Minh, um, who is a communist, who is allied with Mao, will win that election. He will win that election by a landslide. Um, so we uh, set up a, a dictatorship in the South under Diem. Um, Diem fails. There's a military coup that knocks him out. Uh, we're going to prop up South Vietnam um, to fight for us. It, it is a dictatorship. It's our dictatorship in the South against their dictatorship in the North. It's the same thing that happened in Korea. Um, the, the major difference being that um, in Korea, the, the North stopped fighting. We end up with that armistice and that demilitarized zone. In Vietnam, the, Vietnam, like, the Vietnamese are not going to put up with that shit. Um, they will continue fighting until either all the Americans are gone or all the... And it's not just the, it's not the thing, you know, a lot of it is the communists and a lot of it is the sort of Ho Chi Minh and this communist um, Maoist force. But it's also just Vietnam, like Vietnam does not deal well with empires coming in. Um, they have a long history of putting that shit down. Um, we're going to stay until 1972. It, it is a war of occupation. At no point is the American out... Um, really outgunned um, in terms of individual um, battles. The U.S. almost always comes out on top um, in terms of, you know, our ability to fight against the, the, South, or the North Vietnamese. We have better weapons. We have better training, etc. What we, what we don't have is an actual game plan for winning a war of occupation. We've, we've gone over this in this class, and, but wars of occupation are are incredibly, um, incredibly fought because you almost always end up with guerrilla warfare. And how do you win over a population? The, the saying they used then was winning over the hearts and minds. How do you win over the hearts and minds of a population if you're not sure who in the population is on your side and who isn't? You will end up killing civilians. And once you start murdering civilians, even if it's because you weren't sure if they were insurgents or not, once that starts, um, how do you win hearts and minds? It's, it's, it's a leadership failure um, of an epic scale that empires, and it's not just the U.S., but this is the imperial failure, um, is they keep getting into wars of occupation. Um, and hell, we keep doing it in the same places, um, so we'll stay there until 72. Um, 72 with withdrawal, um, Nixon will get us out of the war. Um, and he claims he's going to set it up so that the South Vietnamese um, can support themselves. The South, Viet South Vietnam, the, it's not even a real government. It is a, it's a regime with very, very thin backing. Um, they fall in three years. Um, essentially, once Ho Chi Minh pushes just enough, um, no matter how many U.S. tanks um, and, and helicopters and guns we send South Vietnam, they, they can't fight against people who actually want to win. Um, and that's who they're fighting against um, when they're fighting against the North Vietnamese and Ho Chi Minh. So what's going to happen in terms of migration is after the war, um, a lot of people who had either supported the U.S. and needed to get out, especially if you were in the South Vietnamese military, Officers, oh, you need to get the hell out. 
if you were seen as being close, too close to the U.S., um, if you, you know, if you ran a bar that was all U.S. soldiers, you needed to get out. Or if you're just worried about what's going to happen when Ho Chi Minh and the communists take over, um, you need to get the hell out. Um, so a lot of people fled. Um, and, um, you know, by, by 1980, we're looking at 261,729. Um, that is, go- and that's, that's what we're accepting up until 1980. Um, between a lot of people are just fleeing to Thailand or fleeing to nearby regions and then trying to get into the United States from there um, because in those places they're in refugee camps. Um, and we can see this today with um, the Syrian camps. We can see refugee camps are, dude, refugee camps are, your entire life is put on hold. You are often on the, the verge of starvation. Um, and, you know, w- what happens when, I mean, you know, a pandemic like right now with coronavirus goes through a refugee camp is awful. But even just the influenza, um, even if you're just dealing with the, you know, the flu, even if you're just dealing with cholera, um, they can really quickly become a death camp. So a lot of people are trying to get out of those camps. Um, 1980 to 1981, a lot of people just start getting on boats. And you can see this picture of the, the boat. Um, and just just going out into the ocean and hoping that the U.S. picks them up. Um, we are going to accept a relatively small fraction of refugees. Um, and the, the number, you know, 614,000 by 1990, that's a lot of people. But compared to the number of people that are fleeing, the number of people that die while they're fleeing, the number of people that we, we reject um, is much larger. Um, if you are part of, you know, the, the early, like the guys getting on that helicopter, the wealthy, um, the military officers, et cetera, and their families, um, they're going to be able to get out a lot easier, a lot faster. A lot of them are going to get out early. Um, and you can see those videos um, of American choppers landing on, on uh, aircraft carriers during this, right when, when Hanoi falls. Um, or not Hanoi. Um, yeah, Hanoi. When it, damn it, Saigon, not Hanoi. When Saigon falls, um, people, there's so many people packed onto the, the boats, the, like American aircraft carriers, that the helicopters land and then um, the Navy personnel push, the, the, get everyone off the helicopter, push the helicopters into the water just so there's space aboard um, for people. Um, that's the initial fleeing. Um, and this is all later after that, um, other people getting to the camps, et cetera, and then trying to flee. Um, there is, and it's, it's this kind of thing, on the one hand, there's the American anti-immigrant, anti-Asian, um, you know, sense of, of trying to exclude our, our others from America. Um, on the other hand, there's a very strong sense of... Um, we would be betraying allies that we've already kind of betrayed by leaving. Like a lot of people were angry over leaving. You know, a lot of people didn't want to stay in Vietnam, but at the same time, it was a sense of like, well, these were the people who were fighting for us against the North Vietnamese. Um, a sense of we need to do something. Um, so there is a strong, there's a strong, um, and it's actually a, a, a bipartisan um, support for bringing in um, refugees, uh, but it's also meeting head, 
head up with the anti, just anti-immigrant, um, anti-Asian sentiment of sort of standard American politics since the 1810s. Um, one of the things that's going to happen is this, this settlement process. Um, they're being accepted as refugees. And this is like quite clearly the most refugees the U.S. has ever accepted as coming from Vietnam. Um, but we, the U.S., I, I, I don't understand this thinking. Um, they, they don't want to create enclaves. They don't want to allow the Vietnamese to, that are coming into the United States to create Vietnamese communities because they're worried that if they do so, um, it'll, it'll disrupt the existing communities around them and it'll, um, they're worried for some reason that the Vietnamese will create community. Um, but without community, the settlement will fail. Without community, um, the populations will fail. Like This is what we've seen with every single migrant group coming into the United States. Um, you know, why does Little Italy exist? Because people need support and they will find support. Um, so even though they're scattered all over the U.S. and they come in, there's a long process and they're like, okay, we're sticking you in Iowa. Really quickly, they figure out like, hey, where are all the other Vietnamese people going? Um, oh, you guys are going down to coastal Texas? We're going down to coastal Texas. You guys are going to Louisiana? We're going to Louisiana. You guys are going to California? We're going to California. And so they'll create communities. Um, and that's going to be essential for no longer just being refugees, but becoming Vietnamese um, Americans. So there are a couple of um, major areas where you'll see the growth of, of communities. Um, one is going to be Gulf Coast shipping. So Louisiana coast um, and then the Gulf of Mexico coast and um, that coast in Texas. Um, a lot of them will go into shrimping. It's like you go someplace new but then you're met with a familiar environment. It's like, oh, we have boats and deltas and shrimp. I know what to do with this. This is what I was doing in Vietnam. There's an existing shrimp fishing industry. Um, I'll get in on that. Um, we'll see a lot of Vietnamese go um, in those areas go into shrimping. Um, and this will, you know, they'll, you'll end up with these cases where... Um, the Ku Klux Klan in 1981 starts lining up behind white um, shrimp owners um, to, to essentially assault the, the Vietnamese shrimpers. Um, and the, the courts are going to have to force cops um, because the cops, in, and this is all happening in New Orleans, the, they're going to have to force the cops to go and defend people against the Ku Klux Klan because the, the cops are like, well, we we don't care about these Vietnamese people coming in and like, they're taking our jobs. Um, like that standard thing. Um, but this is, it's a space of like, there is an opportunity for life in shrimping because it's something that people are kind of familiar with. Um, and there's an existing industry, et cetera. But at the same time, um, it's that opportunity for conflict. Um, because now they're, the refugees are being seen as competition um, for, for white shrimpers. Um, so that's, you know, by the time you get to the 1990s, et cetera, a lot, one, a lot of shrimping is dying, but two, like you, you do see, um, a little bit more acceptance of the Vietnamese in the shrimping industry. Um, there's, uh, another, another sort of major, um, 
California. Um, most, of the, most of the groups that we're looking at, like Asian America is pretty heavily in Hawaii and California. Like that's where Asian Americans um, like demographically are. And the same thing is true with Vietnam. Um, we see in San Jose, California, particularly a huge Vietnamese community. Um, and it's the same thing where everyone is spread out. They're trying to keep people from, from creating communities, but the, the natural human urges to form community. Um, so they'll form these communities in San Jose, California, little Saigon will be the biggest of the, the sort of little Saigons. Um, and the video that, that I'm going to send out is, um, connected to little Saigon. So we can kind of look through there, um, and check out, um, actually the, that, that shift between first generation and second generation, um, in these communities, like what happens when we're no longer migrants, but we're now a Vietnamese American community, um, dealing with that past, like dealing with those changes, um, maintaining the connections to, to the parents, but at the same time, um, creating a new life. Um, one of the things that they're going to have to deal with, and this it's, there is a strong anti-Vietnamese sentiment from the war, plus strong just anti-Asian sentiment. Um, and a lot of the people that are being attacked for Viet being Vietnamese are actually the South Vietnamese military um, guys um, who are probably stronger anti-communists than most of the people yelling at them. Um, and that's, the, it's, it's, you know, racism, et cetera, like is, is always packed with ignorance and ironies. Um, and in this particular case, that's, that's one of the main ones is people will be mad at the Vietnamese because like we were fighting the Vietnamese and it's like, yeah, these were the Vietnamese that were fighting on your side. Um, so, uh. now there's a bunch of different places and it's, you know, this is again, the, a big chunk of the migrant story is you come in, you have a few options. Um, and if people won't employ you, one of the things that you can do is create your own business. Um, and that's a, it's a hard route, right? It requires incredible sacrifice. Um, and often the businesses that you're, you're creating are not the high margin ones. It's not the ones where you're making tons of money. You're, you're making enough to survive. Um, and so we'll see this, um, you know, Vietnamese nail shops. It's not like Vietnam was packed with nail shops, um, it's when all the refugees were coming over, Tippy Hedren, who was a star of the birds, um, trained a, um, a group of Vietnamese women that were coming to the United States, um, trained them to, to do nails because they were like, well, crap, they're going to need jobs. And, and like, what are we going to, what are we going to train them to do? Um, and from there, that group trained other people. Um, and it became this, this sort of niche market. It, the yield is small. The work is hard. The work is often demeaning um, because you have some, you know, it's a, it's a stereotype, but you have some Karen just sitting there and being like incredibly bitchy about their nails. And you guys got to sit there and suck it up and like soak their feet, paint their nails, do all this stuff. Um, the yield is small, the chemicals you're dealing with are harmful for your health. Um, but you can, you can make enough to survive and, and, you know, in some cases thrive, um, and you can start training and employing others as well. Um, 
And so the, the nail shops uh, emerged as sort of like a Vietnamese niche market. Um, Vietnamese food, this is the one good thing to come out of French, the French Empire, is the French took everywhere they went, they took bread. They took French bread. Now, if you take French bread and you combine that with pickled vegetables and like meats, like, season, like well-seasoned meats from Asia, oh my God, you have the banh mi sandwich. And then you throw, you like throw a little bit of heat on that thing. Oh, mm. the one good thing to come out of the French Empire is the banh mi sandwich. Um, actually, probably there's sandwiches in other parts of the French Empire, but that particular one, um, you know, creating Vietnamese, uh, a market for Vietnamese food, initially feeding other Vietnamese people in the community, and eventually branching out to, to becoming part of sort of the broader American food scene. And we can see this in Hawaii. I mean, there isn't a huge Vietnamese population in Hawaii, um, but Bale is, is prominent as like one of the major Hawaii um, chains. Um, and again, it's going to be mostly crowded into urban areas. Um, it is going to be sort of coming together as a community, um, a, a support, but then also that will allow you to develop sort of small businesses um, because you have a little bit of that, that market already um, attracted because you're, you're all Vietnamese. That's who's going to be eating banh mi sandwiches at first. Um, and then after that, sort of branching out into the broader community. Um, by the 1990s, you are going to have the same thing um, that's happening with uh, the Korean American community, with, with every sort of community, which is, okay, we're, we're no longer refugees, or maybe you're, um, you're part of the 1.5 generation or something, um, but very much, I'm an American. How do I establish life as a Vietnamese American? And, and connecting to the idea of Asian American and trying to develop that, um, trying to create that space um, as a group, but also as individuals. Now we're gonna switch over real quick to, um, to Laos. So this is, you know, there, there's going to be a Thai migration, etc. Um, but Vietnam and Laos are kind of, kind of the two big ones to look at. Um, you know, the, we're fighting in Vietnam openly, not as a war, but as a police action. But like we're fighting a war of occupation there. No question. Um, in Laos, it's a secret war. We are not officially there, but we are backing guerrillas. We do occasionally put U.S. troops in there, um, either accidentally, oops, we didn't know we crossed the border, or just quietly, um, but we're also bombing the shit out of um, all the areas that the, the Viet Cong, the, um, the North Vietnamese, are using Laos um, basically to avoid the border between North and South Vietnam, just go through Laos um, and use Laos as... Um, transportation, like transporting through Laos and then launching attacks from Laos. Um, this is destabilizing Laos um, and also growing the, the communist insurgency in Laos. Um, so there is a communist insurgency growing out of the conflict with, in Vietnam, in Laos. Um, plus you have all these border attacks and then the U.S. starts bombing the crap out of, um, out of the border. Um, in order to try and hit the Viet Cong. Um, and often, look, if you don't know what you're, often you don't know if anyone's there, so you just blow up. We think somewhere in that 10 square mile region are, you know, is a Viet Cong um, supply base. So we'll just blow up. You can't blow up the entire thing, but blow up enough of it. Hope you hit stuff. Um, 
there is also like Air America and we're, we're kind of running drugs out of Laos in support of some of these operations. Um, this is not a high point in American history. Like we did some pretty unethical things um, in these secret wars. Um, in particular, one of the groups that's supporting us the most are the, the Hmong. Um, they're an ethnic group. Um, they're very like rural. Um, they're a, a hill people. They're, they're, they tend not to be down in the valleys. These are not the guys who are growing, you know, acre upon acre upon acre upon acre of rice. Um, and they're, they're very, um, like there's very much a warrior ethic within the Hmong. Um, a lot of them are fighting for the U S in Laos. We're providing them with weapons, um, et cetera. Uh, when the Laotian communists take over Laos, the Hmong are going to be targeted. Um, anyone who supported the U.S. is going to be targeted. And in general, um, a lot of people are going to want to flee um, because at this point, I mean, it's not, it's not going to be what happens in Cambodia where there is n massive just genocide, um, like self-genocide in, in Cambodia almost. Um, it, but you are going to see atrocities. You are going to see persecution. If you're a Hmong, um, especially among the Hmong who were fighting for the U.S., you need to either hide out in the hills and take off, or you need to get the hell out. So, yeah, a lot of people get the hell out. Um, Thailand. Um, Thailand's across the border. It's relatively stable. Get to Thailand. Um, so you end up with, again, just like with the Vietnamese, massive refugee camps in Thailand. Um, the Thai government wants them out because it is... Um, Refugee camps are expensive to maintain. Um, they're not willing to have permanent, um, you know, anti-foreign, anti anti-refugee, anti-immigrant sentiment is not exclusive to the United States. Um, the Thai government does not want to incorporate the, the Laotians into the Thai um, population. Um, they want them to go someplace else. They turn to the country, you know, they turn to the UN, but a lot of other countries won't accept them. They turn especially to the U.S. because this is, um, in a lot of people's minds, um, in the U.S., um, outside the U.S., but especially in Thailand, uh, especially in Laos, or among the Laotians, this is a U.S. responsibility. They were the ones that continued this war out. Um, obviously, you don't want to go to Vietnam because they're being ruled by the North Vietnamese who are allies of the Laotian communists. Um, the only other responsible party is the United States. Um, and including, you know, a big part of this is like for the Hmong, especially, but a lot of like for the Hmong, they fought for the United States. Um, the reason that they're in this, it, the, the trouble is they were fighting against the Laotian communists for the United States. They were fighting against the Viet Cong for the United States. And then, and then the United States, uh, abandoned them to the refugee camps in Thailand. So there is a sense of responsibility in the U.S. and there is enough bipartisan support um, to, to allow for migration. 75 to 1980, it's mostly former soldiers, um, about 30,000. Um, 1980, it's mostly family migration. Um, there are different camps. I mean, some of these camps, some, you know, some of these camps are still, portions of it are still open till this day. Um, but there is this constant, there is a constant drive from and again, it's a bipartisan thing of, of people who see the U.S. Um, as having some, uh, a responsibility 
in particular, like to refugees in general, right? Um, but in particular to these refugees, because the reason they are refugees is partly because of our war in, in, um, in Southeast Asia. Now, um, there is this thing that happens in the 1980s, or sorry, the 1990s, where the U.S. is trying to establish um, better relations with Thailand, with Laos, etc. Um, and the U.N., you know, Thailand wants them out. Thailand does not want these um, refugee camps anymore. Um, and they're pushing the U.N. The U.N. brokers a deal with Laos and the Laotian government um, says, well, we won't punish any of these, any of these refugees that come in um, that, you know, even if they had been former soldiers that fought against us, we won't punish any of them if they come back. We will allow them to repatriate. Um, and the U.S. supports this. Uh, Bill Clinton is a big proponent of this. Um, other people are saying this is madness. Um, and a lot of the people in the camps are saying this is madness, but we'll never trust them. Um, and so they, they have one of the, a kind of prominent person in one of the camps who is a, a former Hmong soldier. Um, they get him to go back to Laos, and he immediately disappears. Um, and this was... Um, you know, the, this is one of those cases where, and it's, um, although it was bipartisan, uh, the, the Republicans definitely took the lead on pushing for accepting more refugees, um, in part because they can't go back to Laos. Um, and there's, you know, the, the Democratic Party it's, has always, one of the things that's standard about the Democratic Party is that it, it will split on major issues. Um, and the, the Clinton wing of the party um, kept trying to promote um, this repatriation thing, sending people um, back to Laos from Thailand. Um, but others within the party were supporting the, um, this uh, Republican push. It's really a Republican push um, to accept the refugees in. Um, and by, by, 20, um, by 2000, the number was around 186,000 between refugees um, and, um, and this sort of growing, uh, low ocean, um, population from, you know, kids, et cetera. Um, one of the interesting things is, again, there's going to be an attempt just like with the Vietnamese to scatter the refugees, to send them all over the place. Um, and this will have, um, in some places, you know, they'll end up in Minnesota where is it seemingly as far from, from, you know, these are, these are forest people, these from, from Laos. Um, and you end up with these communities in, in Minnesota, in inner city, Minnesota. Um, and there's a lot of trouble adjusting. Um, eventually you will see communities form where people will be scattered and then they'll come together because again, you, you are looking for someone to support you. You're looking for that, um, uh, and it, it, it takes a while. It, it is going to be a pretty slow transition, um, especially because you, you spend so much time in a refugee camp and it's, it's hard um, readjusting to life outside of a refugee camp, let alone readjusting to a completely separate country, a completely separate language. Um, and uh, a lot of the, again, a lot of the anti-Asian um, racism and anti-foreign sentiment um, that, that a lot of uh, migrants that we're, we're looking at this term are going to end up facing. Um. Okay, so that's going to bring this one to a conclusion. Um, 
Thanks for sticking it through for another week. Please be working on your um, on your final projects. I realize with the with the closure of the library, you're going to have to be pretty inventive when looking at um, at your topics. Hopefully, you're able to find sources. If not, please contact me as soon as possible so we can work on something. Um, sometimes you'll have to switch your your topic depending on the availability of sources, etc. Um, we're going to have one more. Uh, one more week on this sort of new wave of migration and then from there we'll be looking at um, Asian American communities and activism within the United States in the the period after this initial um, Cold War era um, migration. Okay, see everyone next week. I mean not see you, but you know what I mean.